Hello and welcome. Thank you for downloading this week's Sermon and Prayers of Intercession from the English Reformed Church Amsterdam. We hope you will enjoy what you are about to hear and that you will be blessed. So many voices. Pilate, puzzled, dismissive. Herod, curious, questioning. The chief priests angry, accusing. The crowd charged, shouting. The leaders scoffing, vengeful. The criminals deriding, pleading. The soldier disturbed, pitying. So many voices. But you, so few words. To the women, compassion. To the crowd, forgiveness. To God, yielding. Crucified Christ, speak the word of life to a world so well versed in the language of death. There are two ways that you can look at the execution that was taking place on the hill of the skull outside Jerusalem on that Friday afternoon. You can see it as just one more sad death, the brutal slaying of someone who was viewed as a threat and had to be done away with, and there's nothing unusual about that. It happens all the time, always has and always will. The human race is good at that. But you can also see Christ's crucifixion as far more than this, as Christians have always done. To the eye of faith, this was no ordinary run-of-the-mill death. This was different, and that's why it continues to be remembered 21 centuries after it happened. This grisly event on that Friday afternoon when the sky turned dark is seen, as Christian, seen by Christians as central to our faith, central to God's dealings with the human race. We claim that in some way this event was reconciling God to a world that had become alienated and estranged. We claim that this death was necessary for our salvation, that by His death we are saved. So what's that all about? How on earth does the death of Christ save us? How is it that He was wounded for our transgression, and by His stripes we are healed? Well, tomes could be written about this, and still we wouldn't comprehend it. But today, on this Good Friday, I want to consider Luke's account of Jesus' death and try to get some handle on what was happening in that dreadful place on that terrible day. I want to consider three dimensions of the cross and how they deal with sin. And Christians, of course, are accused of being obsessed with sin, and maybe sometimes we have been. 
but perhaps Good Friday is one occasion when we need to talk about it. And if anyone thinks it's outdated or fanatical to talk about sin today, then we might wonder what planet you're living on. And so we turn firstly to one of the cries uttered by Jesus from the cross, the words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And what we find here is that God deals with sin by forgiving it, by not counting our trespasses against us. And perhaps the best way to think of this is that on the cross, God was taking the very worst that humanity could throw at Him and forgiving us. God in Christ, after all, has come into the world, reaching out to us in love, laying aside His glory in order to become one with us, one of us, extending God's embrace, and we have risen in spite against God and God's anointed Jesus of Nazareth, hounding Him to death. That is the worst we could possibly do. What happened on Good Friday reveals the dark side of our human nature, our capacity for injustice, our blindness to the truth when it's staring us in the faith, our resistance to the things that make for peace. But above, above all, Good Friday reveals the human race's most profound antipathy and hostility to God. And what does God do in response? Well, God forgives. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. He forgives us at the point where we are most wicked, not laying our sins to our charge. And note carefully, no one was repenting. No one was confessing. No one was standing at the cross pleading for forgiveness. But God's forgiveness does not depend upon repentance confession of sin. It does not depend upon sacrifice, and no one has to die in order that we might be forgiven. Forgiveness that is conditional upon confession and repentance is no real forgiveness at all. God forgives because God is merciful and compassionate. God is like that. That, however, is not the end of the story, for there is more to dealing with sin than simply forgiveness. For all that it is forgiven, sin constitutes a barrier between us and God, for God is not only compassionate. God is also holy. And sin, even when it is forgiven, taints us and clashes with God's searing holiness. And that means that sin must be dealt with in some way. Forgiveness is not enough. 
And here we're directed to another detail in Luke's account of the crucifixion, where we read that just before Jesus died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And that was the curtain that hung at the very heart of the temple, what was called the Holy of Holies, where God was believed to dwell, the very epicenter of God's presence. And no one could enter the Holy of Holies except the high priest once every year and only after ritual cleansing and purification because that is what God's holiness requires. Sin, even forgiven sin, is incompatible with the holiness of God and so must be dealt with. And the Bible speaks of sin being covered, covered over. It speaks of sin being removed from God's presence and God's sight, and it speaks of us being cleansed. In the Old Testament, all this took place in various rituals and sacrifices on what was called the Day of Atonement, when every day, every year, Israel's sin was dealt with. And the New Testament is bold to see the death of Christ in these terms as a sacrificial offering, a a lamb taking away the sins of the world, and by His blood we are cleansed. So God, in His compassion, forgives us for our sins as Jesus cries, Father, forgive them. And God, in His holiness, makes a way for us to draw near to Him as the curtain is torn in two. But there is, however, another side to sin that must be dealt with. And here we turn again to our passage, and we read that at about noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, and the sun's light failed. So what's that all about? Well, what we see here is the darkness that extinguishes the light. But there is more to this darkness that meets the eye. Back in the previous chapter of Luke, when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, He says to those who have come to arrest Him, this is your hour and the power of darkness. This darkness is a power. It's the power of evil, a power that is at work in the world and that resists God and that destroys and that lies behind sin. And Jesus encountered that power in His ministry when He cast out demons, and He encountered it right at the very beginning of His ministry when He was in the wilderness, and the voice tempted Him to deviate from the path that He was called to follow. It's that power that is called Satan or the devil, In Mark's gospel, it is called the strong man who Jesus must bind and whose house Jesus must plunder. 
And we may use mythological and poetic language to describe this power, but it is real nevertheless, and we see it at work in our world today as much as ever. And here it engulfs Christ on the cross in that darkness that descends. And Christ yields to it allows it to exhaust itself in him, and in so doing, overcomes it. And so, Christ becomes what was known in the early church as Christus Victor, Christ who has striven with the darkness and prevailed victorious. On the cross, therefore, we see the three dimensions. The compassion of God who forgives unconditionally, and the holiness of God which covers sin and bears it away, and the sovereignty of God by which sin is a defeated foe whose days are numbered. And all these combine in that tortured figure on the hill of the skull. And we watch. In the words of the song we heard sung, we look up. We see the dogs full-bellied in their spite as they bite, shedding the blood of the lamb. But this is more than just a sickening and tragic death. Here, forgiveness is enacted and sin is dealt with. He was wounded for our transgressions, and by his stripes we are healed. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. And to God be the glory forever. Jesus willingly submitted to suffer in our place. Let us pray to God our Father and place in his hands the suffering of the world. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, dear Lord, we pray for the church that we may bear our cross and follow you, Jesus. We pray for the Church of God on this Good Friday that all who are disciples of Jesus will be given the grace and strength they need to walk in the way of the cross, speaking words of love and truth in places of hatred and lies, also in this city, Amsterdam, that we may be a light for those. Father, we pray for your world on this Good Friday, that the dying Jesus on the cross and the living Jesus of resurrection will draw all people to himself. The source of eternal reconciliation and salvation. Father, We pray for the communities in which we live, 
work and worship that bonds of love within families and between friends will be healed where they are broken and strengthen them where they are weak. Father, we pray for all those who are experiencing their own Good Friday darkness, that all who suffer pain of body or mind will be held by the hands of Jesus, which bear the marks of his pain and the promise of restoration and resurrection. Heavenly Father, at the foot of the cross on which Jesus died, we offer you these prayers in hope, trusting in your promises, promise to hear us, and in your power which raised Jesus from the dead. Let your grace, mercy, love and peace surround us and all those of whom we have prayed in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.